Welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. This is Garrett. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? I'm doing really well. Garrett, how are you doing, man? It's been a long week. It has been a long week. Uh, we got, you know, we debated, went back and forth on if we wanted to do the show um, tonight with everything that's going on. And I think we needed a sense of normalcy for ourselves, at least, at least a break. Uh, you know, that's not to diminish anything that's going down because, I mean, we're going to sit here and we're going to talk for 30, 45 minutes. Um, you know, it's almost 10 o'clock at night for me. So it's not, you know, really don't want to take away from anything that's happening, important things. Um, but, uh, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't want to listen right now, you understand. There's always next episode. You can go back and listen to it later. But it's it's been a long week. It's weird. It's only Wednesday. It is weird that it's only Wednesday. And it's been... I mean, a long week, but I guess in a good way, right? I mean, it's a, there's, there's uh, things happening throughout the country that everybody is aware of, you know, riots and, and, and looting and, and protests, good protests, positive protests for change that matters. Um, it's certainly stuff that is important. Um, frankly, Garrett, I mean, I don't know how much we want to delve into it because I think that, that you and I, right, we're kind of the definition of, of middle-class white male. It's hard to really get into the nitty gritty of what the problems are for, for you and me. Cause frankly, um, I don't understand the depth of every problem. I only, you know, I can only talk about experiences from others that I've read and it almost feels irresponsible of me, uh, of us really to, to sit here on, you know, talk as if we are on some pedestal that we understand everything that's going on. And, and that just, frankly, that isn't the case. Um, that isn't to say that we, we shouldn't be part of the solution. But it's hard for me anyway to sit here and pretend like I could talk about the depths of the problem because I simply don't understand it all the way. I agree. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that you have to listen and believe everything that everybody says because, you know, you have to kind of weed through and find, you know, what's right and what's wrong and where things are. But it's, I mean, just kind of, I mean, don't, don't want to ever, I think and this is a good advice for anything is you don't ever want to write anything off just based on your first glance like listen first to people and just try to understand them and have some empathy from where they're coming from and if you know if something is slightly exaggerated then that's not the end of the world because i think if you find people who are coming from a good place and try and seek first to understand you'll end up a lot better off and that will i mean that i mean that really is what it boils down to and just like don't be a jerk just be nice to other people and find a way to serve somebody around you and it's um you know, I think we've, this isn't something that happened overnight. It's kind of, it's, you know, built on decades and centuries of things that never got resolved and festered and it won't go away overnight, uh, unfortunately. And so it's, I think, you know, find ways and talk to people and if you don't, if you think it's not a problem, then, you know, talk to someone who has those experiences and just because it's not a problem for you doesn't mean that's not a problem for somebody else and that doesn't mean that you can't you know try to understand and be cognizant of it and you know try to find to do what you can where you can um, you know you can't be all things to all people but like you can we should always be able to be willing to at least give a lending ear to try to understand what other people are going through that's exactly right and, and when it comes to these conversations um Try to be, I think we all should try to be solution-based. Like we could talk about the problem nonstop, right? And, and whether you understand, whether you agree fully with every problem that's out there, whether you, you know, if you are 
one of those who is protesting in your city right now, or whether you're one of those who is a uh, maybe a police officer yourself and you you disagree with everything that's going on right now, find solutions. And it starts with your uh, you know your local lawmakers, your city council, your city mayor, your governor, your state senators. Uh, I think you know my caution to everybody in the in, in America at least would be you know don't fall into the trap of just blaming Trump blaming Obama, right? Blaming whatever the president is. Because in the grand scheme of things, that president, while they're the most vocal and the most visible, and you know, they're the one who is going to be out there making statements or whatever, and everybody's going to be covering those statements. At the end of the day, uh, you know, to in, your police chief, your local police chief in your city and your county, they're going to have a bigger impact on what happens in your city and your county than Donald Trump ever will, than whoever the next president, Joe Biden, ever will, Right. So start, you know, get informed, get registered to vote. If you're not, uh, learn who is running for governor, who is running for city council, you know, who is running for sheriff. Uh, learn those names, understand those policies and, and the things that they believe. And that's how we can start to enact real change. We can talk about the problems all day long, but I think we're almost to a point that everybody sort of concedes that something needs to change, whether we understand or whether, whether we think it's, you know, 10% of the, the issue is a problem or 90% of the issue is a problem and 90% of it needs to change. I think everybody can kind of agree that, that there needs to be some change. So in order to start enacting those changes, you, you've got to get involved with your local politics and your local government and, and you know, try to get educated that way and, and vote. I mean, that's really how change happens. Right. And if you live in a place where, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, I don't live in a swing state, so my vote doesn't count. Like really, if you look at the numbers on these local elections, a lot of times it's like you'll see a city council thing and it's like, oh, this person lost like 900 votes to like 750 votes. Like I have a friend who ran, was running for a judge seat in Arizona and he was the incumbent and he lost like, it was like 275 to 250. Like only like yeah. 600, 500 people voted in this election. And so it's, you know, like I said, if you want to have an impact, like go talk to them. If you send one of those people an email, they probably, their campaign is lucky if they get like 10 emails at all from concerned citizens the entire mm -hmm. time. So it's, if you reach out, you can, you know, make a questionnaire, send it out to all of them and be like, Hey, I sent this questionnaire to these seven candidates for the town council or city council. I didn't, and I'm just as guilty of this. I didn't even know that until I looked it up this weekend that the town I live in, I don't even have a city council. We have a county council because it's all little towns. And so it's just one thing for the whole county, but they send it out and it's like, you know, you can post it and say, Hey, I sent these questions to these campaigns and got written responses. This is what they said here. I put screenshots. There you go. Like here, I'm trying to get this out here for you and you can really make a difference and really start there. And, you know, just find, Find someone in your neighborhood to do something nice for them. And just like, we're all tired of being cooped up inside. Just find someone to do something nice for them. Yep, 100%. And if you live here, you know, a lot of our listeners live in Utah. Uh, it starts with the governor, right? There are, you know, we, we may not be a swing state here in Utah. That's um, probably going to be a Republican who is, you know, our senator most of the time and certainly the governor most of the time. Uh, but don't let that dissuade you from understanding who these candidates are. There are four Republicans who are running for governor. There's a primary for that Republican nomination that will end up being, you know, the eventual governor in November. And they are vastly different, although they are from the same party. So, you know, get educated on who those four candidates are and where they stand on, you know, the, the, um, 
police brutality issue that's been the topic of the last week, but on all the issues. And that's really what it is. And Garrett, like you said, man, just find somebody, serve somebody, try to be a really good human, and we will be in a good place as a society. And that's that's our TED Talk. Thank you for yes, coming. Thank you. TED Talk. And uh, I think we can, I think we're to a point now that we can start talking about BYU sports. Yes. So, well, um, before we dive into the couple of sports things we have, uh, we do have our Hellion of the Week. And so last week uh, we gave it to Dave Kim, um, who is a retired uh, forensic scientist or firearm specialist with the LA Sheriff Department who started um, putting up some content on YouTube that was really cool and we liked. And so this week we have uh, the wife of a VIP member over at cougarsportsinsider.com who posted on the board, um, Brayden Day. And his wife was pregnant with, and at 32 weeks, she delivered triplets last week. And so there's triplets. triplets three. Like I can barely keep up with one. And you have three kids, right? That you can, I but have that was three. Spa- but they're spaced out over, you know, six years, three all at once. That's, that's heroic, man. Yeah. So she, she is our hellion of the week. Um, as their three little Hellions were born. So we are happy to report that Finley, Thatcher, and Brigham, uh, who is probably our favorite here on the show, are mm-hmm. um, all happy and healthy, uh, you know, doing the standard. They were three pounds, six ounces, eight ounces, and 10 ounces. Um, so since they're all, you know, between three, around three and a half pounds, they're being in the NICU for a few weeks to make sure everything's okay. But, you know, mom and babies are healthy. And so, um, Sister Day, you are a Hellion of the Week. Yeah, for sure. And Brigham, man, it gives a whole new meaning. I mean, we've already got a pretty cool story about Vaughn Kimball and Give Him Hell Brigham, a story that, frankly, we need to really delve into one day, just like the nuts and bolts of that story and get into how Kimball died and all that stuff. Uh, but Brigham Hell, or Give Him Hell Brigham also has a new, you know, kind of a new meaning to it now that there is a triplet who is a recipient of our Hellion of the Week Award. It sort of feels like he is part of this podcast with us. And I couldn't be more proud to welcome him to the team. Yes, thank you. You can be, we'll sponsor you in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And and Brayden, if you don't throw out the phrase, give him hell, Brigham, in the baby blessing, I I don't know. We may have to like revoke a membership at CSF or something like that. I mean, that feels like that has to happen. Work it in there somehow. But um, next on thing, and we got quarantine kitchen. So what's been going on at your house? Yeah, so I made and I've, I've made this before. I actually wrote about it uh, during the season when I would do my you know tailgate recipes of the week before every game. Uh, but I would try to come up with a recipe that was kind of tailored to BYU's opponent. One of my favorite things that I made at the time, and I made it again this week, was uh, Boise State week when I made uh, potato volcanoes that uh, we'll, we'll put a link uh, in the show notes that really kind of details what the entire recipe is. But in essence, it's a baked potato that's wrapped in bacon that you smoke out on the smoker, any kind of smoker that you want. And then I make this sauce. It's like a sour cream cheese sauce that I put a little barbecue sauce in and fill that up. You kind of, it's really a twice baked potato. So you're coring out the, the middle of the potato while you smoke it, get the bacon, you know, everything rendered and cooked. And then you put all of these p- the potatoes back in, 
smoke it some more. And then you add this, this sour cream, barbecue, cheese-based sauce on, on top of it. And it kind of just overflows like lava over a volcano. And it's the most delicious potato that I have ever had in my life. So I made those again this week. Uh, we will put that recipe in the show notes. It's hard to explain it. You just have to do it. And once you awesome, see the dude. picture, it starts to make a little bit more sense. I'm going to make that this week. Um, the, that sounds good. I mean, it's always, you can't, anytime you wrap something in bacon, you're on, you're going on down the right path. Um, right. We did a couple of things, different things. Uh, tonight we did a, uh, like a chicken shawarma. I don't have like a, I don't have a spit or rotisserie. You have a rotisserie, but I have a few, really yeah. to do like proper char, uh, charma or al pastor, you need a vertical spit. But uh-huh. the, uh, see, so, you know, I mean, I just marinated it and, you know, just grilled it and, I just want to bring this up for the audience that there are some meats that need to be cooked low and slow. Chicken is not one of them. If you are cooking chicken, you need to cook that at like 400 plus and get it hot and get it crispy and pull it off. Get yourself an internal like temperature meat thermometer and pull it off when you catch it between 150 and 155 and let it rest and you will be fine. Mm -hmm. The 165 number is a myth and that is when the bacteria is dead instantly but if you do it at 150, it takes like two minutes at 150 to kill anything. So by the time it gets to 155, you know, it's already been two minutes and it's going to be, you're going to be perfectly safe and you stop drying out your chicken, please. Um, yeah, but, please stop drying out chicken. <laughs> so we did the, so we did the shawarma and uh, we did the shawarma and, you know, did it, got it with like a pita wrap with some tzatziki sauce and that was good. But then my wife made uh, these like peanut butter oats bars so it was like a it was like a peanut butter cookie cho- a peanut butter chocolate chip cookie with like oatmeal and so it was like two cups of flour two cups of oats and then it was like a two sticks of butter and like two cups of sugar and it was just oh, so yeah. much fat and sugar and That's they everything. were so good and uh so we'll put that i'll put the recipe for both of those in there and you'll see Anytime I post a recipe, it's probably going to come. The link will probably be at plantoeat.com. That's the recipe planning app that we use. And it's awesome because, you know, you can plan your recipes and then like your menu and then it generates your shopping list. And then if you use Instant Cart or like the Walmart grocery pickup, whatever, it'll just add your whole shopping list for the week to it there too. And so we just like drag and drop, say we want to make this, this, and this. Cool. There's the shopping list. Boom. And then I go to the store and pick it up and it's done. Um, I, th- I think we found our next sponsor. Yeah, so figure out a way to get them on the uh, on the, the the podcast here. So yeah, so well we can yeah we can do that. We I'll look into that and figure out. Um, <laughs> but we can. So it makes it really easy because you can share. Um, you can just drop like a link to somebody, even if they don't have an account, and it's like formatted nice for you. And so it's we put everything in there because when you go on like the app or whatever, you just click a button and you don't have to scroll through like the fifty-seven pages of blogging explaining where the recipe came from to find the recipe at the bottom you just click a button and it says okay we found the recipe for you here and saved it yeah that's awesome so um so if you see keep seeing that as a theme that is why um that sounds good though what did you call the potato volcano potato volcanoes they are inspired by uh he's a barbecue restaurant owner i can't even remember his name jason jason gingall i think is his name out of denver which isn't really a barbecue hotspot, but this dude is, he knows his stuff and uh, it's a recipe from him that I've kind of added my own little stuff to it. Uh, it's good. It's a lot of fun. That's that fun. And it looks cool. That's maybe the coolest part. You can do it for the gram for sure. That's if it doesn't look good, I don't want to eat it. Like, yeah, totally fair. 
Um, so we do have some uh, recruiting updates to hop into. Um, so the we first do. is what's going on with Weston Jones. So if you haven't followed too closely um, of this year's class, uh, Weston Jones is a 6'5", 260-pound offensive well, 24-7 lists him as an offensive tackle. Um, he's a three-star prospect from Romeo, Michigan. Um, so is, what do you think? Is, uh, you know, is BYU going to be Romeo's Juliet? I like that. That was good. Uh, yeah, so I went ahead and put in a crystal ball for, for Weston. I did crystal ball him to BYU with a pretty high uh, confidence level earlier this week. This is a good pickup. I mean, if it happens, right, assuming that it happens, assuming that I'm correct in my crystal ball prediction, this would be a really good pickup for, uh, for BYU. Jones reminds me a little bit of James Empey when he played at American Fork. Uh, he's listed as a tackle now, but I think that Jones's career really is on the interior of the offensive line and specifically at center. Um, he's got the – He's got the ability to, you know, to play and be a road grader on the interior that you want. But the, the kid is really, really smart. He's got Ivy League offers. I mean, that kind of helps under helps you understand how smart he really is. Uh, and, but he's a talented football player. He's got some P5 offers as well. Schools like Virginia, uh, Iowa State, Indiana have offered Weston Jones. So really solid three-star prospect. He is a member of the church, and he will serve a mission before he enrolls. Um, and yeah, I feel really good about where BYU sits with him. You know, I talked to a lot of you know sources, you know, close to you know, the program and, and other places, and, and there's a lot of confidence coming from those guys. And then even talking with with Weston himself, it feels like there's a lot of momentum in BYU's favor. He would like to make his official decision decision sooner than later. Uh, the dead period now that it's been extended through the end of J- end of July makes it really hard for kids to get out on visits because you know their high school season starts usually in August and so schedules now start to get really tricky and you know most kids like to to make a commitment after they've visited somewhere but in talking with Jones now that that looks like it's you know maybe out of the cards he says he's comfortable with you know a virtual visit and getting a feel he wants to get his spot secured in wherever he decides to go uh, and you know, just talking with him and other people, it seems like that's going to be BYU. Yeah, so running down his list of offers here that are reported, got Air Force, Army, um, Buffalo out of the MAC, obviously BYU, Eastern Michigan, uh, Miami, Ohio, Toledo. So pretty much the whole MAC, which you would expect in, you know, his area growing up in Michigan. Then also P5 offers from Indiana, Iowa State, um, and Virginia, and also has Tulane in there. So it's he has a solid, very – solid offer sheet. This is what for the bread and butter of BYU recruits. This is what I want to see. Like, I don't want to have a class where, you know, half the guys BYU is their only offer. Cause then you kind of start to, you know, scratch your head a bit. You know, if it's somebody who is like a, or, you know, from the 2019 class, a, a George, Udo, well, George Udo was 2020 for a George Udo or a uh, Luca Andrada, like, you know, those guys where it's like, hey, those kids can fly. They have frames that you can do something with. Like, Andrada set the Colorado State record for the 100. Udo can play safety corner. He can bulk up and play linebacker. He could play wide receiver, you know, and he's just big and strong and fast. Okay, take a flyer on those kids. But, you know, that are, you know, just raw athletes. Um, but, you know, 
in terms of just the bulk of the recruiting class, you want to see multiple other offers because, you know, that means that other professionals, you know, staffs that are evaluating this kid also agree that he's good enough to be an FBS player. And so it's obviously, you know, ideal world. It's, you know, we'd be getting guys over LSU, Bama and Clemson, but that's not going to happen. So, but this, you know, this is a very solid offer sheet where you can expect, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to have a solid career and you can be able to count on him because, you know, there's a lot of schools that want him, want their services. And it's, you know, some, you have some lower level Mac teams, some mid-level G5 teams and a couple P5 teams. And that's, you know, that kind of upper end of the G5, you know, lower end of the P5, that really is, that's where BYU is at in the spectrum in the world. And so it's, he fits with the, you know, he fits and he increases the talent level of the program. And he's not, you know, he's not a, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bag on any players, but it's, you know, some, it's really easy with LDS players, you know, coaches to just take that low hanging fruit, um, to, you know, take that low hanging fruit and, uh, just take the kid that wants to go to BYU because they're LDS and it's, you know, they were all region or third team honorable mention all state and wherever they were from. And, you know, it's, there's a place for those kids, but you know, we got to start, we got to reach higher. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, Weston Jones, he is a, he is a player that, but you know, he's, he's sought after, uh, he's still hearing from most of his P5 schools for, yeah, from all three of the P5 schools who have offered him, he's still being recruited by them. So it's not like everybody's backed off and it's you know, BYU on an Island. Uh, BYU's had to work for him. Coach Ateos has done a good job of, of building a, a good relationship. There's a lot of trust there. Uh, and ultimately I think it's a good fit. And I like seeing, you know, offers from, from Mac schools, uh, you know, say what you will about the Mac, but uh, just the, they're, you know, obviously they're not the big 10, but they, a lot of those schools play, at least their offensive lines play with a similar kind of style. They're bigger offensive linemen, big, strong dudes. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, Weston Jones fits in really well uh, into what BYU is trying to do. Uh, so that's, you know, that's crystal ball for who could potentially be coming into the program. Uh, there was a player who left the program this week. Alex Miskela uh, announced that he was going to be transferring from BYU. Linebacker who was initially part of the 2019 class, but he didn't uh, didn't enroll until last season. So he was just a freshman last season, and he is going to transfer out of the program. Garrett, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think Miskela is someone who he didn't, come in and he had a bit of a struggle adjusting to the speed of the college game. Um, he has a good size frame. He's listed at like 6'2", 235. Um, but he is known you know, for being a really strong player. Um, and he played middle backer. But I mean, last year, the linebacker in core ended up being the strength of the defense. But it was the biggest question mark heading into the season. And, you know, there's nobody knew what was going to happen. And he kind of said, well, we got to – couple of Kafusis back there and you know that's kind of all we know what's going on and we didn't um that was really it but it ended up being you know between the Kafusis and you know Peyton Wilgar and a couple of guys of the linebacking core ended up becoming the strength of that defense but it was wide open to I guess be taken and Miss Kayla he didn't quite wasn't able quite to take that step forward um I know I think he can end up at a lower level G5 school or maybe a higher end FCS program um, you know, it's always, it's always sad when, you know, 
things don't plan out the way you hope or the way you dreamed, you know, of going to whatever first program you start out of. But I hope he, he finds a place where he can get on the field and can enjoy his time. I mean, even – I mean, there's nothing to knock against going and transferring down to an FCS school or something. It's like, I mean, I played high school football. That was it. Like, you know, there's – I didn't get a chance to play college football. If, you know, that's you can – knock a kid for going and playing FCS ball, but that's still more than 99.9% of anybody listening to this has ever done or will do or ever had the chance mm-hmm. to do. Um, so I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on it? And, you know, we have, we kind of talked about this last week with the um, scholarship number of that. There was a large, we were way over the scholarship limit. And by our count, this puts us down to 87. So there's two more. Um, we need to expect at least two more to go down to leave the program and maybe more than that you know because we have missionaries coming home that can start in august instead of january and things like that but what are your thoughts on miscala leaving and the scholarship situation yeah you know for miscala it was always an interesting offer um he, he's one of the strongest kids in the world i mean the, the dude is a weight room champion and he has some of those raw tools and i think when the offer went out i kind of i remember feeling like it felt like some of those uh, offers that have gone out to defensive backs where you know, Ed Lamb, Gennaro Guilford, Preston Hadley, they go and they find a defensive back that maybe they have elite height and good enough speed, and they, they think that they can you know, develop that. And for the most part, at the defensive back level uh, position, rather, they, they've had success doing that, finding athletes that have one elite trait, whatever it is, and then they, they bank on being able to develop the rest. Uh, felt like a similar philosophy when Muscala was offered, that the dude has elite strength. He had, you know, good enough speed and, you know, good enough football experience. He actually played defensive line before he played linebacker uh, when he was in high school. So he didn't have a ton of linebacker experience. And I think the thought was, hey, well, his elite strength, we can develop the rest. Yeah, you know, and it didn't pan out. Now he's leaving and that's, you know, that's fine. We wish him the best. Uh, Philosophically, I have a problem offering projects at the linebacker position. The linebacker position at BYU for the last three decades has been stocked full with studs, right? I mean, it's not even, it's not just Bronco. I think people have a tendency to think that it, you know, Bronco Mendenhall had the uh, linebacker room so stocked because of his defense. That's why BYU was linebacker U for a minute, but it was, it's more than that, right? I mean, it was in the nineties. There were tons of linebackers who could play in the eighties, tons of linebackers who can play. You just talked about it now. Tons of linebackers who can play on the roster today. You look at the recruiting classes, and there's already tons of linebackers in this class. There's, you know, class of 2021, 2022, 2023. There's just linebackers everywhere. The linebacker spot is not where BYU needs to gamble at a developmental project because there's just so many targets who are already proven to be really good. Don't gamble there. Gamble somewhere else and save those scholarships for a different position. Well, and even kind of to flash back, you know, step back five, six months ago, uh, you know, heading into February with the 2020 class about to sign, you know, we talked a lot on the board about the linebacking position. And it was like, who was going to get left? Because we had Bodie Schoonover. We had Tate Romney. We had um, Josh Wilson coming in. And we're like, okay, there's three linebackers that are committed. But then there were a ton of other guys. And it was like, yeah, like maybe they're higher rated, but are you really upset that you got Bodie Schoonover and Tate Romney? No, like right. they're going to come in and be great, at, you know, and fit exactly what the program needs and they'll be fine. And it's kind of like, you know, sixes at some point because it's not like it was a, you know, five-star number one, like a, you know, what 
BYU when Holotinyata changed his mind on signing day in 2002. Right. You know, it wasn't that kind of loss. And so it's really, like you said, if you go down, especially if you look at uh, – go on 24-7, you look at all the LDS players, and it's like there are just 8 million linebackers and tight ends, and I don't know what it is about those, like – Western and Northern European LDS genes that we got, but we crank out people who are linebacker sized and tight end sized with regularity. And we don't need to take flyers on those. Like you said. No, that's exactly right. And you know, and it goes back and kind of alluding, you kind of alluded to it, but I think the best example of what you're talking about here, was back in the, uh, the 2015 class Porter Gustin, right? I mean, he was the five-star guy. He was a, a huge deal. Um, when he was coming out of Salem Hills High School in Utah, and BYU for you know reasons we're not going to delve into you know the why or why not you know they recruited him or whether they didn't, but they decided that they had enough linebackers in their room and that they didn't need to go and get a guy like Porter Gustin. So they they let him they passed on Porter Gustin, didn't even offer him, and he ended up going to USC and he was great at USC. He didn't, you know, go on to have this, you know, first round NFL type career that everybody thought that he would when he was coming out of high school. He was great. He was a multi-year starter at USC and, and Gustin for all intents and purposes did a tremendous tremendous job as a linebacker. Well, BYU passed on him because in 2014 they signed Fred Warner and Sione Takitaki. BYU was fine. Like they could take a linebacker like Porter Gustin they looked at what they had in their room and they said, we're good guys. We don't, we don't have to go all in. We don't need him. And so they passed, they passed on, on a five star who was in their backyard and lo and behold, like, are you going to complain that you had Fred Warner and Sione Takitaki on your team instead of Porter Gustin? No, like all three of them are great. Recruiting is just an interesting game. I think people get so accustomed to there's a winner and there's a loser. And every, if you don't get the kids signed, then you're a loser, but recruiting's funny because there can be multiple winners, right? Like you can pass on the five-star linebacker in your backyard, but you already won that game because you signed the four-star linebacker out of California a year ago, and so you're fine. You don't need that guy who was in your backyard. In the end, like Gustin won, went to USC, was great. BYU did not have a linebacker problem at all during those you know, three or four years of Gustin's career. Everybody won. Right, and a lot of it is, you know, scheme and fit too because, I mean, at USC, he ended up getting his hand in the dirt a lot and playing more of a defensive end position, and that's not, you know, the way that linebackers played at BYU. And, you know, look at during that time that he had in 2000. I mean, we've needed a pass rush, so they could have helped there if he walked in that defensive end. But it's, like you said, looking at a linebacker and you got – there's something to be said for knowing what you have already and being able to see guys more than two days at camp or some highlights that you got sent whatever, but a lot of it is scheme. Cause I mean, you can look at a five-star quarterback and look at like, um, you know, Jake Fromm went to Georgia, but yeah, he's a five-star kid. But if he tries to go and play for Chip Kelly running that Chip Kelly spread offense, like that's not going to work and he's going to look mm-hmm. horrible. And you're going to think like, man, this kid is not a division one quarterback whatsoever because it wasn't the right fit. So it's, you know, like you said, it's sometimes you just got to dance with who brung in and other times it's just, it's not a fit for on the field, off the field reasons, whatever it is. And you know, you find out kind of who your guys are and run with them. Um, But we we do. You're exactly right. Yeah. And so we do, I mean, we still are, um, even with Miss Kayla leaving, um, we still are two over the scholarship limit. Um, Likely those will probably come from um, medical red shirts. Um, 
you know, which, you know, if someone is a medical redshirt, that means for what their injuries, they just, because of injuries, they decide to step away from football. It doesn't have to be a doctor saying like, no, you should never play football again. It's just for their own health and personal decision. They say, you know, I don't want to play football anymore. And if that happens, they will remain on scholarship and will have their education paid for and honored by the university, but they will not be obviously on the team or count towards that 85 limit. Um, so there are a couple guys that have battled injuries um, that have struggled to get in the rotation. It seems like every year they're getting banged up. And so kind of who do you think or have a feel on we may be seeing step away from the program as we try to will down those last two spots? Yeah, and it's it's hard to project things like this. So, you know, certainly don't take any of, uh, any of these names as gospel truth. This is just purely people – who fit that description of players who could take a medical red cert. Um, you know, I, I think of guys like Braden Cosper. Uh, he's entering now, I think his third year into the program. Hasn't really made an impact. Had a gnarly knee injury as a freshman, uh, battled a couple of little nagging injuries last year. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of guys ahead of him. Uh, could he come into fall camp, blow everybody away and make the rotation? Absolutely. He could, but it wouldn't be all that surprising if he looked at it and was like, look, man, like playing time is going to be tough to come by. I love BYU. I love what I'm doing here. Uh, I just want to, you know, maybe I want to go into coaching. I want to you know, just focus on school. I want to do you know, a myriad of other things. Maybe he's a guy who fits the, who fits the bill. Drew Jensen, similar story. The guy's had multiple knee injuries. Uh, playing time's going to be tough. Drew, now he did play a little bit last year, so uh, he could conceivably, you know, find his way on special teams and into the two deep at some point this year, but he fits that mold as well. And then another guy, is Dimitri Gallo. Uh, Dimitri Gallo, he, he's battled some um, injuries, not in the traditional sense, uh, you know, just some stuff that caused him to need to step away last year. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't know, maybe he, he gets there this year and, and maybe those demons or whatever it is that he was dealing with, maybe that's still there. And he decides that, that he wants to walk away. I, you know, there's, there's a myriad of other guys that it could be as well. I mean, it could be, you know, some of these 50-year seniors. Maybe Zane Anderson's shoulder just doesn't come back and he doesn't want to go through a third, you know, take the risk of having a third shoulder surgery. Maybe he ultimately decides he's going to step down and doesn't want to do it. Or Chris Wilcox, he's you know, not able to come back because of, you know, whatever his foot injury is. Maybe it's worse than we thought. There's a bunch of guys that could fit the mold. Those are the guys that kind of jump off the page of, eh, maybe I'd watch those a little bit closer, but really it could kind of come from, really from anywhere. And it, I mean, you, some of those guys too, I just completely lost my train of thought and stumbled over my words. Um, some of those guys, they, you may look at and say, you know, hey, you are a fifth year senior or you were granted an extra year of eligibility. You know, the original plan when we offered you, you know, that wasn't for you to be here by now you were supposed to be done last year like we don't have you know we were happy to have you back we want you back but you know we can't we need you to pay for this semester of school and if you're a master's student you know it's really it's it's one semester to get you through to december is really all right. it is and so it's um you know and so especially if some if a player is a member of the church you know and you're saying okay you've gotten a free education been able everything been able to play division one college football at a high level like for this extra year that you've been given where we don't have a spot for you can, is your family in a place where you can come up with, you know, 23 or $2,600 or however much tuition is these days. And if the player is already married, then by default, they are going to 
if they're already married, then by default, they're going to be eligible for a Pell Grant, and the Pell Grant is enough to cover all of tuition at BYU. Um, oh, geez. Well, there you go. So it's the, yeah, if you get, because it's once you're married, then you don't have to return any of your parents' tax information, and I feel confident in saying that no Division One football player is making enough money on their own outside of football to go above the threshold. I don't even know how much money the threshold is, but it's it's probably safe to say that they would be fine. And so that, I mean, the Pell Grant limit comes down to that, you know, they would probably be okay and that would at least cover the tuition portion of it. Um, so there is some flexibility there that I guess is built in to it because of how affordable BYU is as an institution just on the whole um, for students to go there. And so yeah. there could be a couple situations like that. And it's, you know, a lot of the flexibility if, I think ideally the staff would probably want a few more than two to step away because I think right now pretty much everyone who is supposed to come back from a mission this summer is already getting rolled forward to January. And so, you know, if you can get a couple of those guys who might be contributors to get them pulled back instead of kind of having a de facto red shirt season, um, they're having them all gray shirt. And so, you know, instead of having them back and getting ready on their own. If they can contribute, you'd like to pull a couple of those guys into camp in August and have them, you know, compete for playing time. But if that doesn't happen, then it's not, it's not the end of the world because, you know, usually when a kid comes home from his mission, if he gets home at the end of July, he's not going to be ready most likely to play anyway. So coming back in January is not the worst thing um, because it gives them, you know, six months to go on their own. And it's kind of, it's kind of like an extra red shirt season to get their mission rest off, at least get their, body in a little bit better shape and then he really hit the ground running come January. Yeah. But there are guys like a guy like Michael Daly, right. That's going to be pushed ahead to, to January. He could make a difference this year. I mean, he's a talented pass rusher, depending on what kind of shape he's in, he could make a difference. Uh, so if there's room, certainly they would like to, to bring a guy like Daly in. Uh, but on the other hand, a guy like Connor pay, uh, who was Daly's teammate at Lone Peak high school, he's got a, a ton of offensive linemen, uh, even if Connor Pay is ready to play, the odds that he's going to crack the two deep in, in the 2020 season are slim, right? So, yeah, he's an easy push forward. But I'm glad you brought up the push forwards. Uh, I mean, we talk about that 87 number that BYU needs to uh, get down at least two more. Uh, the push forwards, that's one of the ways that, that BYU is doing that. I mean, if you just look and you say everybody who is home from a mission and has a scholarship offer – I think there's like 97, 98 guys or something like that. So uh, the push forwards, that's going to take care of a bunch of the, the scholarship crunch for this year. And then there are a few other guys who had scholarships at one point that are now walk-ons. Uh, Herc Latu comes to mind. He, he entered the transfer portal once. When he came back to the program, he, he was asked to walk on because, you know, he left the program, he filled his scholarship, and then he wanted to come back. And those were kind of the terms of his return. And so that's, that's what happened there. There are a couple of guys who fit similar descriptions that, that they had scholarships at one point and now they're walk-ons. We talked about them a lot on our Cougar Sports Insider VIP board. Uh, there's a ton of information there. So uh, this, is, this is what they call in the radio business a teaser. If you want to learn more about who yes. people are, subscribe to, to Cougar Sports Insider. There's a handful of those who – were on scholarship as recently as last year and are now walk-ons this year. Uh, and that's part of the way that BYU has gotten closer to that 85 scholarship number. Yeah. And like you said, with that 97 or 90, 
five, however many it is, with that moving them forward, part of that to be able to get those guys in and started in scholarship on scholarship in January is that you got to get all the seniors or other people out in December. And so you can't, you know, you can't load up and, you know, say, oh, we're going to dump them all in the summer, but we're going to roster 125 mm-hmm. guys on scholarship during winter semester. It doesn't work like that. So it's, that is where, you know, you will, a lot of seniors will get told like, yo, you better finish your classes this semester because this is it. Like, you know, especially if you're a redshirt senior, you've been in school for four and a half years. Most guys take classes in the summer because they want to be on campus for player run practices and in the weight room. So it's with all that time, they're like, okay, you've had the equivalent of like five and a half years of school here. If you don't have your your coursework done by the end of your redshirt senior season, we don't feel so bad about not you know, putting you on scholarship for that spring semester for, you know, for your last semester of school. And so that is also something that will happen and to be get figured out is, you know, guys, you're, they're going to be a lot of seniors cleared off in December instead of April to mitigate this problem of pushing everyone forward to get through the 2020 season. But then also you got to clear them out to be able to be good writing into 2021. Yeah. There's a bunch of guys who already have a degree. Uh, Troy Warner, Chris Wilcox, Tristan Hodge, Zane Anderson. I mean, these are guys who I think all four of them already have their degree. I think Tristan Hodge has actually had his degree now for, I mean, he should have his master's degree or be pretty close to it. I think he graduated uh, last year. So yeah, BYU should be able to pull that off with, with relative ease, I would think. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's, there's lots of different ways to be creative, to get down to that 85 number. Uh, at the end of the day, that doesn't really help a ton for the recruiting class. It's still going to be small. Um, we're talking about you know one year remaining on scholarships and, and recruiting. Obviously, is guys who are going to conceivably be on the in the program for four years. So the recruiting class, no matter how creative BYU gets with the 2020 and 2021 rosters, the recruiting class is still going to be small. Just expect that and expect it to be full of mostly missionaries. That's, that's just what's going to happen this year. Right. Um, so as of June 1st to now, we are, it's uh, June 3rd, three days into the month, and players are back on campus. So have you heard anything or what's going on in the weight room as guys are getting back with new to FC and AJ Middleton and the rest of the class? Yeah, the I've, I've heard, I've heard uh, pretty well everybody is back on campus. I mean, that, that's, you know, we're, we're just a few days into this. And so, it's hard for you know any takeaways really the, to have come you know manifested themselves in the last couple of days, but uh, the good news is that most of the team, with the exception of I think a few walk-ons, is what I've heard so far. Most of the team is back on campus, running player-run practices. They are working out. I was told just yesterday that uh, Chris Jackson looks great. Uh, that was I was told that by a, a defensive back who's you know has to guard him in these player run practices and said that you know day one was really surprised at, at how good he is and the Jackson like his speed is for real and uh, he's, I love to hear that Doesn't, yeah he, he's already <laughs> he's already making you know turning some heads with with the players at least obviously the coaches aren't there running practices so they can't see anything. Uh, but players are, are already singing his praises, which I think is a, a positive sign for, you know, the 2020 season. And that's, you know, where it's kind of feel, well, Major League Baseball can't figure anything out to save their lives, but it's, you know, Ooh. we got the 
Pac-12 is starting on the SEC is coming back on next Monday. Pac-12 and the Big 12 are coming back on the 15th. Um, or sorry, no, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 coming back on yeah. the 15th. And then the Big 12 is they're still up in there, but they're meeting on Sunday to talk about that. It looks like they're going to be lagging on. I think the, the ACC um, will come back in the next week or two as well. So it's I know Conference USA. Um, is starting on the 15th as well. So the G5 conferences are getting back as well. And, you know, everyone's coming back and it's, you know, football is going to happen this year. We talked about this last week. Football is going to happen this year. I do not have a doubt about that. It's the, whether fans will be in the stadium, what that will look like is a different issue. I mean, but we've got, you know, NBA is close to announcing coming back. NHL has got their plan figured out what they're going to do in a couple hub cities. Um, I saw major league soccer has got their plan. So it's things are sports are coming back and, we're um, coming out of the uh, coming out of the dark tunnel here. It's going to be a really fun fall with all these sports coming back. Too, uh, I'm, I think I'm most excited, obviously, for football. But second to that is hockey. Uh, that I am just pumped to watch the NHL because uh, I think it's going to be. I think they announced they're coming back with just some of their teams, and it's almost like immediate playoff mode. And I love playoff hockey. So yeah, I think they said they're doing a 24 team tournament. Yeah, is yeah. what they said. Um, yeah, so it's going to be like two hub cities, 24 teams in plowing through. Um, and so I don't know how they're going to do that, if it's just going to be like three-game series to knock it down or well, – I haven't read all the particular details. I mean, I should ask one of – I got a lot of Canadian friends. I should ask one of them because they actually pay attention to that stuff. Um, <laughs> but they or some of them actually have a couple of Canadian – my uncle is Canadian and moved to well, my wife's uncle is Canadian and moved to the U S to play hockey. And so the, uh, wow. you would know, um, but they, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited for hockey to get back as well. I wish that it would happen in a way that I could attend a game, but sitting on my couch is good enough for now. It's going to have to be, we're going to spend a lot of time sitting on our couches, watching sports this fall. Um, this has been fun, Garrett. This is a, yeah. a good week. You know, it's uh, it feels a little bit weird to talk about sports, honestly, this week, like we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, but I'm glad we did. Um, and, you know, like Garrett said at the beginning of this, if you don't want to, you know, I mean, it's at the end now, so you've already listened to the podcast. But um, if, if you are mad at us and you listen to this far, that's on you. We, <laughs> yeah, that, we gave you the parachute cord to rip in the ejection seat at the beginning. But that's fair. You're right. I, you know what? Then I, I, I take back what I was about to say. I'm, I'm not going to apologize at this point. You're right. We, we handed them the parachute cord. And if you didn't take it, it's on you. But it is, a, it is an interesting week, big week, um, you know, and again, just get involved. I mean, that's the biggest thing. When, no matter where you fall on any of these issues that are coming up this week, learn who your local council member, your local lawmakers are, city council, governor, mayor, you know, all these things, sheriff learn what their stances are, and that's how we can start to enact change, whatever that change may be, whatever you feel that change should be, that's where it starts. Amen. So let's let's give them hell this week, Jeff, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, man, sounds good.